Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And tonight we're talking about The Odd Couple, but Patrick and I lived it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that is so true. And you were so Felix. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. What would happen if the odd couple didn't work out? That was yeah, me and so, Josh. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it was almost more like Oscar and Super Oscar. <laughs> but yeah, I was only Felix by default, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we should not live together. But yet you did. Twice. Twice. <laughs> no. It was entertaining. On our end of it, it was rather entertaining. Especially <laughs> especially my favorite was Pat wants to wants to get to that side of the room. Let's see how Josh will get in his way. It was only on purpose about half the time. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So this week we are going on about uh, The Odd Couple, talking about the old TV show. And the new TV show was in 2013, I believe. 2014, oh, right around there. 2014 to, to 2017. Yeah. Oh, really? Is that, yep. I thought it was really that. I, ju- I just looked it up before. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, so Odd Couple. And there's a little bit more to it than that. For uh, three quarters of us, this is a thing that we did in college. So there's going to be a little bit of stage play talk going on later on. If you like college, your mom goes to college. You might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as I Am Salt Lake, The Dog and Deuce Show, The Portland Beer Club Podcast, Talk Music to Me, and of course, The Rad Dad Radio Hour. Well, all right. Thank you. You're welcome. That was good. It was amazing that you'd be able to play that on the uh, guitar. So more of this. iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, <laughs> Talk to Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. Find us on Podchaser. Leave us a review. And if you would like, give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Let us know if there's something you want to hear, or something you want to talk about, or something you'd like us to make Joel do. Wait, what? Hmm? Do we have any listener feedback? I was just checking the Google voicemail, and the last one we got was four seconds, and it was from uh, February. So I don't know if it's old or... Someone wanted to see if we're going to update our car warranty. Or it's from the future. (gasps) It's from next February. I think it was a butt dial or something. I think it's about that time. It is about that time. This week in... Music. Movies. And TV. All right, so this week, Patrick has chosen September 24th, 1970 uh, for the date as the premiere of the original sitcom. 
So music, the number one song in the land was Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Diana Ross in a three-week run. Good song. Yep. It's all right, yeah. Not great, but good. Yeah, that's exactly where I put it. Yeah, that's a good song. That's a fair cut. But all I have to say about that. Okay. All right, so James Marshall, Jimi Hendrix, was an American rock guitarist, singer, and songwriter. Although his mainstream career lasted only four years, he is widely regarded as one of the most influential guitarists in history. He spent much of September 17th of this week with his friend Monica Danaman in London. Danaman said that she prepared a meal for them at her apartment at around 11 p.m. when they shared a bottle of wine. She drove him to the residence of an acquaintance at approximately 1.45 a.m. and she picked him up at 3 a.m. She said that they talked until morning and then went to sleep. She woke around 11 a.m. and found Hendricks unconscious and unresponsive. She called for an ambulance at 11.18, which arrived at 11.27. Paramedics then transported Hendricks to St. Mary Abbott's Hospital, where Dr. John Bannister pronounced him dead at 12.45 on September 18th. Coroner Gavin Thurston concluded that Hendricks aspirated on his own vomit and died of asphyxia while intoxicated and high on barbiturate. Danman later revealed that Hendricks had taken nine of her prescribed Vesperax sleeping tablets 18 times the recommended dosage. Yikes. That'll do it. Absorbed, unfortunately. Yeah. I wonder if he was so drunk that was a, an error. Like he thought he was eating gummy bears or something. He was just really, really tired. Yeah, that's a lot. Holy shit. 18 times. Do they even use Vesperex anymore? I've never heard of it. Yeah, I'd never heard of Vesperex. When you want to sleep like the dead. Yeah, they can't. Jimmy took them all. <laughs> <laughs> we only made 17 of these. He took 18 somehow. Moving on, on September 20th, Jim Morrison was officially found guilty of open profanity and decent exposure after allegedly exposing himself at a concert in Miami in 1969. He was later sentenced to six months in prison and was levied a $500 fine, but he died the following July while his case was on appeal before he ever served any time. This is a great year. Yikes. Man, two greats down the drain. Boom, boom. No way this can get any worse. Uh, don't bet on it. I see this one was just for me. Born September 24th, Angela Maria Ani DeFranco is an American singer-songwriter who has released more than 20 albums. DeFranco's music has been classified as folk rock and alternative rock, although it had additional influences from punk, folk, hip-hop, and jazz, which is all true. Yeah, when Joel and I went to see Ani live, she was like two hours late to her own show, and it was fucking packed in there. She's pretty amazing, though. Yeah, it was a great show. But yeah, I, I just remember how awful it was waiting for her to get there. Yeah. It was, and then uh, after that, you had to listen to Honey DeFranco. Ugh. <laughs> you can shut your cake holes. At least it wasn't Color Me Bad. Speaking of which, Color Me Bad's Mark Calderon was born September 27th, and the world was a better place. So wait a second. We traded up Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix for Honey DeFranco and Color Me Bad. Yep. I'm a pretty big Honey fan. But that sounds like a bad deal to me. I mean, it's not a good swap. Um, oh, wait, here. Are you going to defend Color Me Bad? <laughs> no, no. Color Me Bad can eat a big giant bag of industrial sized penis. Coconut penis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Torah, Torah, Torah. It's a good flick. I've never seen it. No? Mm-mm. Just when I. Never seen it all the way through either. No. Seen it multiple times. A few years ago, I worked at the video store on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. The boss would put it on repeat, have it on all day. Too soon. What? He just thought the name of the movie was Torah, and it just was a suggestion to keep 
Wait, no, no, no. I want to know where you're going with this. Tora, Tora, Tora. That means he has to play it three times. Uh, you asked. Yeah. Garfield's used to have a Tora, Tora, Tora drink. <laughs> Just a random factoid for you there. Shit, I remember that. Sex you up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take that. Ed- don't stop. <laughs> Edward Everett Horton Jr. was an American character actor who had a long career in film, theater, radio, television, and voice work. Horton starred in many comedy features in the 1930s, usually playing a wallflower type character. He's best known for his work in supporting roles, including in The Front Page, Trouble in Paradise, Alice in Wonderland, The Gay Divorcee, Danger, Love at Work, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, Arsenic and Old Lace, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, and Sex and the Single Girl. His last role was in the film Cold Turkey, in which his character communicated only through facial expressions. He is still best known as the narrator of Fractured Fairy Tales on the acronym of the week, T-R-A-B-S, which I'm pretty sure stands for Tim Robbins' Eight Ball Sack. (laughs) In high fidelity, he did. Wait, 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 wait. He ate ball sack or ball sacks? Oh. Uh, like, uh, like, a ball sack. The poet? He ate ball sack? <laughs> no, that'd, no, that'd ball be one sack. word. That'd be one word. Oh, the guy, good point. Yes, yeah. The guy in Guar? Yeah. Ball sack? No. Yes. That's it. They, Tim Robbins and Guar hang out all the time. It's a little known <laughs> thing. They go to Garfield's together and get racially insensitive drinks. <laughs> and watch Torah, Torah, Torah. No one has corrected me, so I'm going to assume that's correct. I want to sex you up. That's that Rocky. Actually, yeah, there you go. Go ahead. It's the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Yeah. I thought the Fractured Fairy Tales would give it to you, but uh, one of these days. You're so good at giving him the hints, but he never gets it spot on. All right. And another one for Joel. Sherry Lynn Skirkus, born September 26th, American actress, model, dancer, and fashion designer. She has appeared in several movies, most with her longtime partner and husband, Rob Zombie, under her more well-known name, Sherry Moon Zombie. Yes. She's only appeared in one other film that wasn't a Rob Zombie film. It was uh, the Toolbox Murders remake. Oh, I thought it was Tora, Tora, Tora. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I love Sherry. No, Rob Zombie made Tora, Tora, Tora. So. He did? No, that was a joke. You're a joke. <sighs> TV. The top shows in the land were Marcus Welby, MD, The Flip Wilson Show, Here's Lucy, and Ironside. Ironside, Ironside comes back again. <laughs> Can't keep a good Ironside down. Pew, pew. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> what? Sounds like you're, Why did sounds you... like you're shooting at a bunch of clowns. She's got a bullet in her. Mrs. Keys has been shot. Just how when did you get shot, Mrs. Keys? What just happened? What's going on? That was Ironside. Oh. Oh. How did I not recognize that? Pew, pew. I thought it was going to start with the theme, but you never know with the playback bot. (laughs) So anyway, the Mary Tyler Moore show premiered on September 19th. Good show. Mm -hmm. Good sitcom. You know, she might just make it after all. You would think. She's going to make it after all. Aisha Tyler, American comedian, actress, and talk show host, was born September 18th in San Francisco, California. She had roles on The Ghost Whisperer, Criminal Minds, Archer, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, Talk Soup and Friends, and was a co-host of The Talk, where she won a Daytime Emmy Award. Currently hosts Whose Line Is It Anyway, which we just did a show like two shows ago on this one. 
She also hosted Ubisoft's E3 press conferences and has lent her voice to the video games Halo Reach and Gears of War 3. Okay, I'm not going to claim this balances the scales, but Aisha Tyler takes us a little bit closer. Agreed. The next one isn't going to help. Pew, pew. (laughs) Victor L. Williams, born September 19th, is an American actor best known as Deacon Palmer on The King of Queens. He's also appeared on several other shows, including Homicide, Life on the Street, Law and Order, ER, Fringe, and The Jamie Foxx Show. Do I know that guy? If you see him, you'll probably be like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I know him. I just, I watch Fringe a lot. Fringe is one of my favorite shows, so. Good stuff, Maynard. It is. Also, later on this month, born September 30th, Anthony Hale is an American actor and comedian most known for his role in the Fox comedy series Arrested Development as the neurotic Buster Bluth. He has also voiced Forky in Toy Story 4 and played Gary Walsh on HBO comedy Veep, for which he won two primetime Emmy Awards. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. (laughs) No massages. (laughs) I'm more monster than man. I'm a big fan of Anthony Hale in general. Like, he was awesome on Arrested Development, but he's also great in Veep, which if you haven't seen it, you really should. We need to do a Veep show then. Veep against what? Good question. Benson? Benson. Ooh, Veep against Benson. I like that. All right, moving on to sports. (laughs) All right. Greville Thomas Scott Stevens was an English amateur cricketer who played for Middlesex, Oxford University, and England. A leg spin and googly bowler and attacking batsman, he captained England in one test match in South Africa. He was widely regarded as one of the leading amateur cricketers of his generation who, because of his job commitments outside cricket, was unable to fulfill his potential and left the game early. Stevens was an outstanding college cricketer who won cricket blues at Oxford in each of his years. No, I don't know what cricket blues are. So... I wish I could play more cricket. <laughs> he was signed by Middlesex while still at school. He appeared altogether in 10, ten test matches. He died of cancer on September 20th. Absorbed. Monday Night Football premiered on ABC on September 21st when the Cleveland Browns beat the New York Jets 31-21. And lastly, eight NFL players were born this week. Everett Lindsay, Mike Compton, Greg Huntington, Winford Tubbs, Curtis Buckley, <laughs> Damon Peen, Pierre P. Oh, that's a, that's a okay. Damon Pierre. Sorry, that looked like an N for a second. Peen. Peen. I was like, what a what a misfortunate name. <laughs> Chris Mims and Derek Odin, and thus ended the three. Play a soft keyboard, Joel. Na 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 na. Damon Peen. So then, before we get to the TV show for the Odd Couple, we have to stop off on Broad Broadway for a little while. Broadway. Yeah. Um, so, f- give you a quick overview then. Odd couple Felix Unger, neat freak news writer, a photographer in the television series, is thrown out by his wife and moves in with his friend Oscar Madison, a slovenly sports writer. Despite Oscar's problems of careless spending, excessive gambling, a poorly kept house filled with spoiled food and clothing, he seems to enjoy his life. Felix, however, seems utterly incapable of enjoying anything and only finds purpose in pointing out his own and other people's mistakes and foibles. Even when he tries to do so in a gentle and constructive way, his corrections and suggestions prove extremely annoying to those around him. Oscar, his closest friends, feels compelled to throw him out only after a brief time together, though he quickly realizes that Felix has had a positive effect on him. Characters. Felix Unger, a facetious hypochondriac news writer whose marriage is ending. Oscar Madison, a slovenly recently divorced sports writer. Murray, a New York policeman, one of Felix and Oscar's poker buddies. Speed 
One of the poker buddies, gruff and sarcastic, often picking on Vinny and Murray. Vinny is one of the poker buddies also. He's mild-mannered and henpecked, making him an easy target for speed. Roy is one of the, also a poker buddy, Oscar's accountant. Roy has a dry wit, but less acerbic than speed. And then there's Cecily and Gwendolyn Pigeon, Felix and Oscar's giggly upstairs neighbors, a pair of English sisters. One's a divorcee and the other is a, a widow. These are the characters from the stage play. And we're going to get into that a little bit and why that's significant for the for us. It premiered on Broadway at the Plymouth Theater in March 10th, 1965, and then went to the Eugene O'Neill Theater where it closed in 67 after 964 performances and two. Oof. Yeah, I know. Uh, directed by Mike Nichols. This cast uh, starred Walter Matthau as Oscar Madison and Art Carney as Felix Hunger. Start that out. I'm trying to picture that. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, some of the things that, just tossing back to Mike Nichols, some of the things that he's done that we would know, he did Joseph Heller's Catch-22. He did the adaptation of that. Uh, he also did some stuff with Second City and did Fools, but also by, by Neil Simon. Uh, it was rebounded. He did uh, this also 83. He went on to do Silkwood, starring Mel Streep and Cher and Kurt Russell. So Val love Mike Nichols. Yeah, I like him too. Yeah, all over. Mike Nichols. On the plays, on the movies. The production gained Tony Awards for Walter Matthau, Best Actor, Best Author, and Best Direction of a Play, and Best Scenic Design, and was also nominated for the Best Play of the Year. Uh, Walter Matthau was eventually replaced with Jack Klugman, starring in November 65, and later Pat Hingle. Art Carney was replaced with Eddie Bracken, and then later Paul Dooley. Pat Hingle, huh? Yep. And Eddie Bracken which we just saw him in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation not too long ago. And then Paul Dooley. What are, do I know Paul Dooley? Oh, yeah, I know Paul Dooley. He's Tom's brother. Yeah. And Pat Hingle was Schneider on good, on a One Day at a Time. Yep. He? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I can see that, I guess. Yeah. Paul Dooley played a Wimpy in Popeye. Oh, we got a fun reason to do that. That movie was terrible. It was not Robert Altman's brightest moment. No. So the 68 film version... Of it came out and starred Jack Lemon as Felix and Walter Matthau's Oscar. And then that did so well, they're like, people would love to see this on a TV show. So it went from play to movie to TV. Mickey Rooney and Martin Balsam? What? I don't know. Who, Martin Balsam. You'd know him if you see him. Okay. He worked a lot with uh, Charles Brunson. Actually. Oh, okay. And they were considered for the part of Oscar and Dean Martin and bringing back Art Carney for Felix. I could not see this be the same thing with Dean Martin. Yeah, I mean, I could, but I couldn't. I, I, I mean, we're talking sixty-eight, Dean Martin. Which, which role? For Felix. For Felix, he wasn't very put together. So, I mean, I could, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I don't really see Felix being put together with a, you know, glass of bourbon in his hand. And Felix wasn't a kind of like, hey, kind of guy. He was, you know, more accountant. Yeah. And Dean Martin, even when he wasn't trying to be, you know, Dean Martin, he was still Dean Martin. Right. Because that was his name. Dean Martin was neat, but he played it a lot looser than Felix should be, I think. So September 24th, 1970, ABC, first season was filmed using a single camera method and a laugh track and actually used the same apartment set from the 68 film version. I noticed that. Yep. Klugman and Randall both expressed displeasure with using a laugh track without a live audience, especially because Tony Randall was a stage performer. And one of the things that he commented that he hated was having to pause after the joke so they could, would have a section to insert the laugh track. Yeah, that would get frustrating. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, the two of them hated it. In fact, there was Klugman later on uh, in an interview was talking about that they spent three days rehearsing the show and sat around a table on the first day and tore the script apart. We took out all the jokes and put in character. The only reason we left any jokes in is because they had to have some sort of canned laughter in there. They hated it. I watch the shows at home. I see Oscar come in and he says hi and there's laughter. And I think, hey, what the hell did I do? I hate it. It insults the audience. Well, he's not wrong. No, he definitely isn't. But it did so did well enough on the first season that ABC eventually relented. And on the second season, they went to a three-camera stage play in front of a live studio audience. Timing is so important in The Odd Couple. It's all about rapid-fire, boom-boom-boom dialogue. You know, I mean, if you're stopping in between for a laugh track, you're just pretty much destroying the entire structure of the of the play. Of the... Yeah, you're kind of neutering it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're getting into uh, some territory that I'm going to expand on quite a bit once we actually get through like cast and such. Yeah, and we're going to get to the to the significance of this after the trivia. So the so the show itself, Tony Randall is Felix Unger. It ran from seventy to seventy five for one hundred and fourteen episodes. Jack Klugman as Oscar Madison. I think he has a great Oscar. In fact, the two of them I think were great, really well cast. Al Molarino, if you don't remember know that name, just think of Al from Happy Days. Yep. He's playing Al, except he's a cop. So he plays Murray. Penny Marshall is Myrna in 27 episodes. Eleanor Donahue is Miriam. Gary Wahlberg, uh, he plays Speed. Monica Evans is Cecily. Carol Shelley is Gwendolyn. These are all romantic endeavors and or uh, cohorts of the others. Larry Gellman is Vinny, and Ryan McDonald is Roy. Do you guys, uh, do you, I don't know if you got this in the trivia, I don't know if I'm spoiling anything, but the, the Pigeon Sisters were the same on Broadway, in the TV show, and in the movie. Yep. So, in the trivia, the two actresses who played <laughs> <laughs> Monica Evans and Carol Shelley out of the series played the same parts in the 68 theatrical version, opposite Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon in the original Broadway stage version. So, no. <laughs> it's not, not in the trivia? No? All right. Not in the trivia anymore. <laughs> so, early episodes from the first season were titled Neil Simon's The Odd Couple. Neil Simon said, back it up, having nothing to do with the television series and not wanting to leave the impression that he did because he did not see the scripts. He eventually did continue to receive a base on the play credit, though after seeing the first two seasons of the show, he became a fan of the series and even agreed to appear in the show as a cameo. Hmm. Live audience did the trick. I know, right? I mean, but I, mean, I think Neil Simon be like, hey, I saw your new TV show. He goes, oh, thanks. What? Yeah. The part of Oscar, his ex-wife Blanche, was played by Brett Summers, Klugman's actual own wife. The real-life couple were separated during the run of the show. Ouch. There's irony for you. Method acting. Yeah. <laughs> so according to Eleanor Donahue, she had trouble with her lines during the first table read with the cast. Tony Randall banged on the table and then yelled at her for blowing her lines and caused her to cry. The next day, Donahue found a bouquet of flowers and an apology note from Randall in the trailer, and the two ended up becoming great friends. Huh. Well, I mean, we all know how frustrating that can be. So. Yeah. But on, on one side, you think you always think of Tony Randall being a real even keel kind of like, yeah, you'll get it. It's all right. I have faith in you type of guy. But I want, I'm just thinking of Felix then. Yeah, no, he, he was very much a perfectionist is what I've heard, read, whatever you know, about him. And I've been the guy who's been off book, like, way before anybody else. And, like, I was never a big enough deal to act like that. But if I was a big star, I would have fucking done that. 
Yeah, I would have loved to have screamed at Ducky more than the screaming I already did at him. <laughs> yeah, we've we'll all get in, we'll get into that. We'll get into that later. Yeah, we've we've all been there with the where the guy who's not who's not on book is making the punchline that you're about to shout out, and it makes absolutely no sense because he flubbed his line. Thanks, Ducky. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's the trivia I got for the odd couple. So, how deep do we get into this? Well, I'm going to start this off with a confession. Something you guys probably don't know. <gasps> Until Are you we... a woman? <laughs> <laughs> we knew that. Oh, uh, yeah. It's say... <laughs> that... Sorry. Uh, Sorry. Until we did the stage play, or until we acted on it, I hated the odd couple. What? Huh? I had never seen the movie. And I thought the show was tedious with the forced laugh track, frequently unfunny. And spoiler, I went back to it, and my opinion hasn't changed. Well, I mean, did you watch all season one, or did you watch it? Because it definitely got better in season two. Yeah. We'll we'll get deeper into that. I I will say, I went back and watched the movie, and the movie is spectacular, and the play is spectacular, and I think there's a specific reason why the movie and the play work for me, and the show does not. But we can get there once we've gotten all the way through. Well, I used to watch this as a kid sometimes, because, you know, on the... The, the UHF stations, that they'd play it. It was in syndication. So I, I remember watching this as a kid growing up, but I hadn't seen it, the, the show anyway. I've seen the movie at least once since college, but I hadn't seen the show again. And I got to admit, I kind of fell in the same boat as Josh. I got through five episodes of the first season, and I didn't realize that there was a changeover. If I would have realized that, I might have watched some of the second season because I felt like, well, because what they did for the first, like, five or however many episodes they took the play and they just took out scenes and then expanded on them and made it into an episode. I don't know if you guys caught that, Mm -hmm. but I was like, you know, the scene works as a scene and now you've turned it into something that just kind of feels like a lot of filler. Most TV shows that come from some kind of source material do that for the first four or five episodes, especially like if you watch sitcoms in the nineties when, or the, or the early two thousands, when some stand-up comedian would get a show the first half of the first season is all just his all his jokes on stage making right. it way into the you know in- material in the opposite direction Wayne's world you know taking a short sketch and turning it into a full length movie and i think the key difference is is that Wayne's world remembered to be funny like situation <laughs> yeah. comedy has to remember that it's not just the situation that's funny you have to have funny stuff happening as well can't just be oh look this guy's a slob that's funny oh look this guy's super uptight. That's funny because inherently it's not necessarily. And after a while, you just keep telling, making the same jokes. And I feel like that's kind of what they were doing. Just throwing two opposite personalities into a, into a living situation. It doesn't automatically make it funny as Josh and I proved. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of funny. It was well, funny if you were watching it though. Yeah. It was funny to outsiders. Not as funny to us. Maybe a little funny to us. Let's say we, we didn't hang out with you because he liked you. We just like watching you two interact. <laughs> but that's that's a formula that's kind of tried and true. You know, the buddy cop movie or the you know the fish out of water scenario. It's just or in the uh, in the sitcom Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, but as Josh said, you still have to bring the funny. Here's the thing: is that did any of you guys get past the first season on these? Yeah. Okay. Wh- I've watched almost all the Odd Couples episodes at one point or another in my okay. life. Because I was feeling that way about it when I, I mean, I watched the first four episodes of the first season. And I was like, I remember, lo- I remember laughing at this. Yeah, the first season is definitely very weak. 
Yeah, and it was dead. I mean, the conversations were, the jokes were forced. And then digging into it and reading about, you know, them, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman hating the laugh track and them finally getting a full live studio audience and all that. I moved to the second season and started watching some or further seasons there. And like the, uh, which one was it? Uh, the sleepwalking episode where Oscar <laughs> decides that he's going to be nice to Felix and all the ag- aggravation comes out and he starts sleepwalking and in the middle of the night, we'll just hit him with a rolled up magazine. <laughs> See? That- yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's a good episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the timing it was great, especially when, uh, when Murray's there and he, trying to tell uh, murray the cop he's like look you have to see him do it and while murray's in there getting cookies he just wanders out slaps him in the head does a 180 walks in the back i mean it's and i think that was it is that what was missing from that was the interaction with with an audience i think when you have something like tony randall and jack klugman who need that response i mean doing comedy without having that response without having the sounding board of the audience is really difficult to do especially if you're doing stuff like this where the timing is of the essence well it's like that notorious story with rodney dangerfield and caddyshack yep you can't just drop that there phyllis and joel well pat you tell the story when rodney dangerfield was cast in caddyshack that was his first ever motion picture he'd, he'd only started in stand-up comedy you know not too long before that and his very first scene that he filmed was the scene with him and Wang and pulling up into the to the country club and doing all the, the obnoxious photographs and everything and just being really over-the-top obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And when they finally called Cut, he went over to one of the production assistants, and he's like, I'm dying out there. I'm dying. Nobody's laughing. What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> and he had to explain to him. He's like, no, sir, this is – when we're recording, nobody's allowed to laugh. They're, they would ruin the take. So they're back. We're, we're all dying back here, but we can't laugh. And right, he was like, oh, okay, all right, he calmed down a little bit. <laughs> At least somebody's laughing. <laughs> yeah, but he's just like, I'm dying out there. <laughs> I get no respect. God. And, and and that had to have been, I mean, especially for that, for like these comedians, Tony Randall, who's, Tony Randall isn't as out there as Rodney Dangerfield with it. His comedy has always been more reactive and less less out there for it than his. I mean, you figure for for more of a subtle type of comedy, he had to just hated it to have to like here is a joke here is the punchline pause for fake laughter i think honestly after they got past that second into the second season and really got their feet wet because i really think it was the third or fourth episode of the second one where oscar's niece shows up felix comes home and there's a pregnant girl sleeping on the couch and she sits up and she's like i'm looking for oscar madison i have a surprise for him and she sits up and she's pregnant and then the whole first scene is Oscar trying to remember it's his niece, but he hasn't seen her in 10 years. So he's trying to figure out who she is. And the whole time uh, Felix is giving him this shit stare the whole time about getting her pregnant. The laughter from the audience really played off with just the straight lace, the stare that Felix was giving him through the whole thing until they find out that she's the niece. And then, you know, then the joke comes full circle on it. So maybe I need to give some of the later seasons just one more shot because I was prepared to like when I was younger, I thought the show was boring and not funny, but I'm older. So I was prepared to have my mind changed and I was disappointed that it wasn't. But I will admit I didn't necessarily go deep enough and maybe I'll give a couple of the later episodes a shot. Yeah, you should you should definitely watch some of the some of the other stuff because what happened basically was these guys, you know, they they'd been doing this before. They knew each other from Broadway. They knew these characters so well, and then they come in and they they had pretty much no creative control once the TV show started, and once they finally you know the, the show got successful and they had a little more you know pull and they were able to get things the way they wanted them to do. Yeah, the, the quality improved quite a bit. 
Yeah. I think I think that was the that was the point of Tony Randall and Jack Klugman and the rest of the casting. Listen, we've been doing this. Let us let us do our thing and we will make people laugh for you. And that's the thing is like the laugh track, especially in the first season, is you can tell that there's an awkwardness about it. Yeah, the whole the whole thing felt a little I mean, forced is the best word. I mean, there really isn't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but I mean, to the point where Tony Randall almost seems like when he drops a punchline on jokes, you can almost tell that he's angry about it. It's just very uncomfortable for a stage performer to have to, to have to do timing based on someone else's suggestions. Yeah, I was just gonna say, can you guys imagine any of the time we did theater if there would not have been any laughter after a joke, something that we knew that was funny? How many times, I mean, we've all been on stage doing comedies before, but how many times have we had uh, a drop a joke, it doesn't get a laugh, and then something we never thought would wind up being funny gets a laugh? Yeah. And and that's where it becomes, you're chasing that red dragon when you're on stage, because you like that response. And especially when something like that happens, it's even more satisfying, because you're like, oh, all right. Well, I'm not sure we have to imagine it. I'm just thinking, like, we had that sort of feeling, but... We perform weekly now and kind of get our performance bug out doing this. And it's not like sometimes we make each other laugh, but we're not getting a direct response. Like we'll hear from people after the show. Oh, hey, we love your show, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, we're kind of living that now where we're doing this without getting a direct audience. Hey, this is funny reaction in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know how much harder it is to make you guys laugh now after 25 plus years? whenever we make jokes because we've heard the same jokes and we're coming up with new stuff but we know each other's timing and style of humor and so it's harder to get each other to laugh well and that's something that i've actually heard people when i've talked to people about the podcast outside of this been like one comment i get often is man you guys got the timing down how do you get the timing down on these jokes mike because we've heard them for 25 years we know what Joel's going to do when when Joel starts making the clown noise, or you know, we when Pat, you know, we we know what the drop is on us, so we know where to pick up on it. It's like it's not a thing that we just we we haven't worked on it just for the time we've been doing the podcast. It comes from hanging out for two and a half decades. And no, that will never be funny, Joel. <laughs> I'm laughing. I know to you it's funny. The rest of us, yeah, hockey, hockey. I mean, your your taste in humor and well, just everything has always been suspect. Yeah, <laughs> see that. I like your laugh. taste in women. <laughs> oh yeah, I, yeah. I will highly admit that. See, that's the thing is you're living in denial. I admit he's got trash taste in, re- in relationships. Yeah, or more correctly, they have trash taste. <laughs> eh, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> Tough but fair. <laughs> And and Josh, I mean, you and I experienced that a lot when we did the Shakespeare. I mean, there were multiple times you and I and um, Eric would drop the punchline and get nothing. And then there was a couple shows where we came back to the end and we're like, they were laughing at shit that we had no idea we they would consider funny. And you, we, it's like steering a ship. It's like, all right, that's what did it for you. We'll keep doing this. You know, we'll make you laugh with this. We're not going to force our punchlines on you if you're laughing at something completely different. And which I think is really what made the difference between past the first step fast season is they would actually let them flood their lines that and let the, you can actually hear the crowd getting more into it as the show goes on, because like I said, the flood lines that leave them, they'd let them go and keep playing out the scene with the screwed up lines. They'd have the flubs in there and then they would go back and post and fix it if they needed to just like we do. 
I guess. That's that's actually not a terrible time to transition over to talking about the play because the, the flood line bit uh, has the odd couple when Patrick and Joel and I did it uh, has my favorite theater story of all time. Yeah, so just to give a quick background before the second play we were at, we, we did a lot of plays together, the four of us in, in college, and the second play we were ever in together was The Odd Couple. We got we all got cast as poker buddies. Uh, none of us made it to Felix or Oscar, as you heard us discuss uh, Ducky earlier. Won't give his real name. That was his nickname. He was Felix. And as good as our Oscar was, our Felix was quite the opposite. <laughs> uh, I can't argue. Yeah, and our director was trash as well. <laughs> I can't argue. Yeah, worst director I've ever had in in all my plays I've ever been in. So yeah, he could have ruined that play, and luckily we're good enough that we saved it. We saved it by not listening to him, basically. Well, just so people know, have a little context as far as who each of us was in the play in the stage production that we did. I I played Speed. I was Murray, the cop. And I was Vinny, the, well, I, I took him from being a nebbish little accountant type to a uh, sleazy Italian type. So. And I was wearing Patrick's uh, cowboy boots. True story. Yeah. And, and I, I was wearing I was wearing the 1960s wardrobe is what I was wearing. Yes, you, you do have the mustache. And I didn't know the guys yet. Yep. You were, you were not around us at that point. I don't I think you were even at Concordia yet at that point. They let me smoke that cigar on stage. Mm-hmm. So there's a famous scene in the play where Oscar <laughs> and Felix have been living together for a while and the poker game gets back together and Murray and Vinny are talking about a sandwich <laughs> and they're sort of, you're going to eat that. <laughs> yeah. They're sort of arguing back and forth in a very passive aggressive, super polite way. Yeah. You're going to eat that pickle. Oh, no, no, no. You, if you want it, you can have it. Uh, well, not if you want it. It's your pickle. Oh, please go ahead. Take it. I don't mind. Well, and Oscar <laughs> loses it at that point, grabs the pickle and hucks it. Well, the best thing about that was our Oscar, Mark Lewis, did something different every single rehearsal, every single performance, every single everything with that pickle. He did. He just did. He Sometimes he'd pick it up, throw it on the ground. Sometimes he threw it on the ground, stepped on it. Sometimes he just grabbed it and ate it sometime. I mean, every time he did something different. Yeah, but one night when we were live with an audience, instead of doing any of the things he'd done, he did something he'd never done before. He grabbed the pickle, turned to stage right, and whip-chucked it, where one of the girls who was playing one of the Pigeon Sisters got hit directly in the ear with it, and she went down. <laughs> like she had been sniped with a bullet. <laughs> And there's this moment, because we all follow the path of the pickle. We see her get hit in the head and go down. And I'm looking at Pat. Pat's looking at me. And we're both thinking, I'm going to be all right. So long as neither one of us. And I don't know who did it first. There's just a little. <laughs> and and for that, was, the, that was all it took, yeah. That was all it took for the next 12 minutes. Seemed like an hour. But nobody could do anything but laugh. The audience thought it was a great time. Like Mike was saying, sometimes they, they're on your side and they're just laughing because you're laughing. They know something has gone wrong, but they're loving it. Like they were applplauding and uh, they're la we're laughing so bad. Tears are coming down our eyes. The one at, guy, one, at one point, Oscar, the, the guy playing Oscar picked me up and was trying to give me the Heimlich because I was trying I was trying to pretend I was choking while I was laughing. And he he ran with it and picked me up and was giving me that fake Heimlich. 
the uh, guy who is like super duper serious and angry that we'd broken character shouted his line and ran off stage. Oh, good. Yeah, thing I, I, I was not I was not scripted to walk off stage, but I did at one point. Well, it was just so damn funny. And oh, my God, it was hysterical. Oh, Literally God. one of the funniest things I've ever seen to, to this day. It was it was so perfect. And I mean, she <laughs> well, went she went down like she'd been shot. It was great. <laughs> it's still funny. Uh and that's the thing; it's so simple, but oh, they were in the, the the pigeon sisters were standing off to the side in the middle of talking, facing each other, not even watching us on stage. She has no idea what happened. She just got beamed in the head with a. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, most people would have grabbed their head or gone, "Oh, what the hell?" or turned or something to see where it came from. Nope, she went down to the floor. That was and like and you for- feel bad because she's <laughs> obviously been hurt. <laughs> and for the rest of her college career, she was known as Pickles. Oh my God! Poor Dawn. Rest in peace. No. Uh, <laughs> did you guys notice? You know, I always the one line I remember from the whole show is, you know, is it your first time on the riverboat, Mister Maverick? Yeah, it's and one of the first lines of the play. I think it is the first line. I'm not the sure. first. Yeah, yeah. In the movie, because I was watching it with Laura, and and you know, I was waiting for it, and I had forgotten that in the very first line of the movie when he, or when he says that, when they introduce the characters, it's not the same line. The rest of it's the same, but for some reason they changed the first line for speed. And did you guys, when you were watching the film, find yourself quoting your own lines or, you know, oh, yeah. remembering the dialogue? Cause they didn't change a whole lot for the movie. No, they did. They really didn't. I got brown sandwiches and I got green sandwiches. That's, that's, <laughs> what's, that's what's the, the green? It's either, it's, what's the green? Well, that's either very old meat or very new cheese. I'll take the brown. One of the wonderful things about the the stage show that I was so happy to see, or you know, because again, the movie I hadn't seen in a long time, carry over into the film is is what you guys talked about earlier that rapid paced, rapid fire dialogue where it's okay if you step on the other person's line as long as you're keeping the pace and you're mm-hmm. following the joke. That was one of the things that Doug Fox tried to fuck up because he kept trying to tell us to wait for the laughs and before you do your next line. And I'm like, no, that's not what this, this play is. That's not what this movie is. That's not, that's not what the odd couple is. These poker scenes are rapid fire guys just ripping on each other. That's what makes it so, uh, to me, it makes it so much fun is that I, I, I'm a firm believer that if you've got somebody laughing keep pushing that laughter to, to see how far you can go because well, if you can get somebody while they're already still laughing it gets you know bigger and harder and eventually they're crying and it's you know it's fun to kind of see somebody get to that point of laughter and with those kind of jokes you can do that because you're just layering them one on top of the other yeah i was happy to see that in there yeah the movie is fantastic yeah i was having gone back to actually watch the film i, I understood i i got it like what the whole big deal was. Cause I had only ever remembered the show being a kid and it bored me and it didn't make me laugh. So at least I did get some positive from then. Yeah. The, the movie is like almost like a masterclass in rapid fire dialogue and comedic timing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the difference is Neil Simon's writing. Plus mm-hmm. there's, a, there are complete character arcs. Like there is a reason in the beginning, like a lot of the episodes of the show, they just meander. They, they have their little situation but uh, nobody changes. Nothing really happens. It's almost, okay, here's the lesson about why we're friends for the week. And that's part of the reason the series doesn't work for me, but the movie and the play does. I told you guys when I sat down, I had to leave by midnight. 
What uh, time is it? You're up $65. That's what time it is. See, you remember more than I do. I mean, as they were going through the dialogue, I was like, oh, that's exactly like the, the play. And I kept saying that throughout the movie as we're watching it. But it's it's a great movie. How much would that apartment have to have been? It has got a wrought iron gate. It's got like three or four bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room, a dining. It's just a huge apartment. Whereas our apartment. On- yeah. Didn't, didn't he say it's like a five bedroom apartment? Yeah. But I mean, he and his wife and kids used to live there. That's why it's so big. Yeah. Whereas our set, you know, was a set. <laughs> a typical stage set. Yeah. Right. Right. Something else I want to point out here is that what you're talking about with the odd couple, the movie with Walt, uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, think about how far they carried that. They did the odd couple, odd couple two, which obviously was not as good, but still was Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. And then they brought it into grumpy old men, which is also fantastic. Yeah. Cause then and you got to end too. Yeah. I mean, it's they they took that gig and they're like, hey, we've been doing this for a while. There's they have multiple movies that aren't odd couple where it's well, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau doing, you know, the same thing. We the people, the fortune cookie. Yeah, they had they they had an actual real working friendship. Just same as same as uh, uh, Klugman and Randall. They had a real working friendship relationship that they both respected each other a lot and liked yeah. each other. And, yeah. Oh, I was I was glad that you guys opted to do this because I hadn't seen any of this in such a long time, and it was a, it was a nice trip down memory lane as far as like taking me back to you know college and when we were all first getting to know each other and just like a great film, you know. Cool. So you want to make the break right here, and then we'll talk about the odd couple for now. Sounds good to me. All right. When we come back, we are going to talk about the odd couple because. Matthew Perry, of course he'd make a great Oscar Madison. Thomas Lennon. I'm sure there's going to be opinions in the second half of this show. We will be back in a little bit. The Odd Couple. All right, we are back, and we are going to talk to The Odd Couple 2015-2017 remake. Not to be confused with the 1982 Odd Couple remake which is something that I found that existed starring the uh, that 82 one starring Ron Glass as Felix and Desmond Wilson as Oscar. Interesting. I know. Yeah. We're we're talking about the new one. Same same premise. Oscar Madison is a slob, Felix Unger moves in. Uh this time Matthew Perry is Oscar Madison, Thomas Lennon as Felix, Lindsay Sloan as Emily and Yvette Nicole Brown as Danny. Wendell Pierce as Teddy, Jeff Stoltz as Murph, Terry Hatcher as Charlotte, Judy Kane as Maureen, and Dave Foley for a sad only four episodes. Oh, is that all he lasted? That's... You look at anyone who plays Roy, uh, Roy has the fewest lines in the play, and he's the in the fewest episodes of every incarnation. He's He's the character that's hardest to describe what he's all about beyond just being an accountant. Right. Though I will say that every time Dave Foley was on screen, I he was damn funny. He was good Dave Foley, you know? Yeah. Still got the got it from Kids in the Hall. Some trivia on this one. A trivia is kind of thin. Matthew Perry and Thomas Lennon previously starred together as mismatched best friends in 17 Again from two, 2009. Oscars first line to a radio caller in this first episode is the same line from the premiere of 
the show Go On from 2012, in which he also starred. Huh. Yeah. And played a sportscaster. True. The sports bar that they frequent in this show is called Langford's. Matthew Perry's middle name is Langford. Oh. And this is the most interesting thing I found. Oscar's apartment is the same set that was used for Frasier's apartment in the Frasier TV show. Though totally refurbished. Wow, that's really cool. I gotta look at that. Yeah, go back and you take a look. You can see it. It's just a new carpet, new paint, new all that. But though, you can see where the chair was and everything. Right. Hmm. Awesome. That's a, that's really all I found for this one. It ran for uh, thirty-eight episodes. And... Yeah, three seasons, I believe. Yep. Yep. And I really want to hate this, but I was kind of digging it. Again, on this, just like the same one, more like second season. Yeah, there were elements, especially in early episodes of Felix's characterization, that were a little bit much. Like the random noises he was making was a little too far, but they brought back some of the funniest bits from the play. The whole uh, take your vitamins, F you. Yes. Like yeah. that always had me rolling in the play. I thought it was one of my favorite lines. Mm-hmm. That way, it's in the movie too, yeah. Did and yeah. It, yeah. Uh, it worked in, in the remake. Not everything. We are all out of cornflakes, F you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's interesting is this seems like it's kind of Matthew Perry's baby because he he was executive producer. And the first thing that I found in the first couple episodes we were watching it is I'm like, you know, this is better than I was expecting. I'm actually laughing. The only problem is Matthew Perry. <laughs> he felt like he was reading like he hadn't read the script until the day they were shooting. Right. That's the thing that I didn't like about it is that Matthew Perry just did not seem Matthew Perry. It seemed like he was going through the motions. It, he was reading words that people were handing to him, maybe even on a card off to the side. I know he wasn't doing great for a long while. First couple episodes, he was very sterile as the slob. The problem I had with him, it felt like he was acting. And that's what I, it did not feel natural at all. Like, you know, he, he, it felt like he was forcing some kind of affectation on his voice. It felt like he wasn't really feeling the lines. He was just reciting them, like you said. And it just felt like he was, you know, nothing about his performance felt natural to me. It felt very forced. Hmm. And I actually found myself enjoying the show. Like I was watching the next episode. But every time it was something where he's being thrown to for the joke or the line. I was like, oh. Despite my saying that, I enjoyed him. I mean, I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed it. I watched uh, I watched about six episodes. And okay. I just kind of jumped around a little bit here and there. And I mean, I like like Joel said, I found myself laughing out loud a few times, you know, mo- uh, every episode. Not like, you know, hysterical laughter. But I mean, it got me. And I'm a big Thomas Lennon fan, as I've discussed in other episodes before or other episodes of the show before. I like him a lot. I like his work, and I find him very funny. So I didn't have a problem with pretty much anything he did. I loved him as Felix Unger. No, he was a great Felix. And and I like the interaction between the secondary characters. Like when the first, is he gay? Yeah. No, he seems gay, but he's not. You know, and then he se- yeah, he seems a little gay. Is he gay? No, he seems a lot gay, but he's not. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes, I'd like to have a gay friend. I'm like, Teddy. You had a black friend. What are you getting at? <laughs> Wendell Pierce is an underrated actor. Uh, yeah. He, yeah, he was the like one of the main cops on The Wire. 
And uh, I've always thought he was awesome ever since he came across my radar watching The Wire. I really like Yvette Nicole Brown, and it was nice to see her kind of taken more of a starring position. And I felt a little bad for for Emily Lindsay Sloan because, you know, she's cute. And, you know, when you compare her next to her sister, obviously, you know, they're two different kinds of attractive. But I felt kind of bad for her because they were always <laughs> tearing her down. I'm like, oh. Well, I mean, she's she's Hollywood unattractive. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you see her you see her at a party. She's probably going to be one of the top three, you know, best looking women in the room. But in Hollywood, they're like, oh, look at this ugly duckling. Yeah. It just felt a lot like, uh, you know, I was talking about I'm going to Pretty Rock right now and the whole thing with Tina Fey and um, Jane Krakowski. It's like, you know, they're constantly treating them like they're these unattractive people. And I guess that's the joke. But, you know, you saw the same thing happening here. But it's great supporting cast. Like it, it had a lot going for it. And it really, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't. How deep do we all get into this one? I watched a few. Like I, I liked it. I got through five episodes and and may actually continue on. You watched them chronologically. Yeah, I I, I like watching stuff in order because I, I want to see character development because it it's it's better than your average sitcom. I actually found myself enjoying it more than the original series. Although now I want to go back and watch some of season two and up. But and I was surprised that until we talked about doing this as a topic that I didn't even know this was a thing. The remake you didn't know. No, I'd never heard of the fact there was a new odd couple with Matthew Perry until you guys are like, hey, hey, let's do this as a show. Yeah, I didn't know about this until we we all got the free sample of CBS for so we can do Picard. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't it's not bad. It was clumsy at the beginning by season two. They got a, they got their tread going. You know, they realized how far the jokes could go before they started getting chintzy. And Matthew Perry started delivering lines like he was acting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he got better obviously as as it went on and you know, they're they're two very experienced sitcom guys. I mean, there's no way it's going to be awful. You know? Right. Well, and they paid nice homage to the source material, but they didn't try to recreate the episodes from the original series. Mm-hmm. They they wrote new episodes with new things going on, modern references and and I that was kind of nice to to see it updated rather than just try to rehash what had already been done. Yeah. And there was enough nods to the, to like the buy vitamins F you yeah. nods to the bath, to the past that they weren't a hundred percent stealing it, but they did do, they gave it respect. Now here's a question that came up with the, from the first one laugh tracks. Do you think the laugh tracks take away from it or did they, were they necessary? I'll say that I didn't notice them. So they were at least better. Okay. I think you're dealing with actors that that's more what they were, what they're used to. I personally think the the best thing you can hope for with a laugh track is that you don't notice it. Yeah. It's either going to ruin something or you're just not going to notice it. I don't think it adds anything at all. I mean, if you have to tell people when to laugh, that, that's not, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Like if you're watching something like say, uh, I'm trying to think of what I watched recently, what we do in shadows, you know, here's a, a comedy show and there's no laugh track. Mm-hmm. And so if you laugh over a line and you miss the next joke, you know, you just rewind it or you just keep going on and you miss the joke. And I'd rather have that. Let's be honest. It's not like they're trying to appeal to the mass audience that a CBS show is trying to appeal to. True. But I mean, I, I'd rather have something that has rewatchability 
because some of you know my favorite comedies, I'll be laughing and I'll miss something and I'll rewatch it and I'll get something new out of it. Yep. And it's nice to kind of have that every time than to be told, like you guys were saying, oh, you got to laugh here. Okay, now you can move to the next joke. Right. And, and I feel like they they gave you a little bit more of that room. I didn't notice the the laugh track if there you know was one. I don't think it was a studio audience. Yeah, I didn't catch it was a laugh track either, just like Josh. So, I mean, that's the best thing you can say for a laugh track is when you don't notice it. Yeah. I, I almost wish that they would... I mean, do we know of any shows nowadays that actually do shop for a live studio audience anymore? No, like SNL, maybe. Or Who's Line, but, you know, those aren't... Like those aren't really sitcoms. Talking like multi, multi-camera traditional sitcoms. Yeah. Stuff like that where would, there would be an actual audience for the to play off of no i almost wish i that would happen again because you think you've got a lot of i mean your best shot is probably like a modern family something like that well i I but i don't i don't even think that was but it had to be a show like that i think about the show we did with um the jeffersons and and all in the family that was more of an event but that's the last like sitcom type show i can think of where we saw an actual live studio audience involved yeah because that's and there's a big difference i mean because in in these shows that I mean, like we said before, when you're on stage, when you have somebody bouncing off what's working and what's not working while it's going on, it changes the whole dynamic of it. And I think, personally, I think that's something that they should start doing again. Hmm. I would, I would like to see it. Yeah. If somebody calls you and say, "Hey, we like to get you on a live performance of The Office," or like you said, or um, Arrested Development, you know, they'd have to change up the writing a bit to make sure it stayed within like one or two sets, but that would be entertaining. It's doable. I mean, I, I could see him maybe, uh, you know, doing a, a new sitcom and trying it out and see how it works. But it, w- it would obviously have to be like a, uh, a mostly a one shot location. Yeah. Which is what yeah, one, one location shoot. I mean, that... yeah. Oh, all right. Just my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how far are we going on this? I mean, you got to. I mean, I, I'm not sure I have a whole lot more to say, unfortunately. Um I'm personally ready for thumbs up, thumbs down. Same here. Yeah, I think it's fair. All right. Patrick, thumbs up, thumbs down. I would give a thumbs up all around to the movie, to both shows, um, simply because I'm I'm not going to give a thumbs down to the original. I like it. So, I mean, I I realize it's got some faults and everything, but it definitely gets better, you know, the longer it goes. So, yeah, thumbs up all around. Joel? Uh, well, it's a thumbs up for the movie. I'd say it's a still a thumbs up for the original show. Thumbs up for the play. Thumbs up for <laughs> the uh, the redo. And um, I got to say, Thomas Lennon is a very, very good analog for um, Tony, Felix Tony. Tony Randall. Randall. Thank you. I oh, okay. Yeah, they were very similar. But yeah, thumbs up all the way across the board. Josh? I'm going to go thumbs up for the movie, thumbs down for the original series, and thumbs up for the remake. Gonna go with Pat. Thumbs up on all. I I actually started. I wasn't expecting to enjoy the new one, but I actually did. You know, by the end of it, and it's nothing groundbreaking at this point, but it was a good, fun show to watch. Yeah, it's it's that's about all you can say about it. Right on, Joel. What are we doing next week? Uh, next week we are going to boldly go where no man has gone before. Gonna do that again. Yep. Yeah, we uh not. Well, I was going to say not too long ago, we did a uh, Star, Trek, <laughs> Star Trek show, but I'm going to play a bet it was a little bit further back than I recall. 
Yeah, probably about four years. And uh, we didn't focus so much on next gen, which is what we're going to zero in on. So we can talk about the new Patrick Stewart vehicle, Picard, on Mm -hmm. CBS All Access. So, if yeah, if you have thoughts about anything we talk about on 40 Going On 14, uh, give us a call. Let us know. That's 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. Yep. And, again, find our older stuff on Apple Podcasts, Blueberry, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM. If there's a podcasting thing out there that we are not on, let us know. We'll get on it. <laughs> we All right. Before, before we go, what yeah. show was our Star Trek show? Throw, throw a guess out, everybody. Did you look it up? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Okay, because I'm I'm looking it up right now too. Um, Don't look I'm it up. Guess. I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna guess episode twenty-seven. Uh, no, twenty-seven was right around twenty-seven. Was like Battlestar Galactica. Twenty-seven was board games. Twenty-six was Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. See. Uh, wow. Well, he's posting the old ones. He's got a little bit of an advantage. Fair. I'm gonna go with one hundred and ten. Uh. 47. Ooh, 39. Damn. That was a hot minute ago. Yep. Damn. Almost 300 shows ago. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. we've, been, we've been doing this a while. <laughs> no. And I think that was, that was one of the things we talked about. Well, should we do a Picard show? I know we just did a Star Trek show. <laughs> uh, just? just? Just did a Star Trek show five years ago. Come on now. Yeah. All right, so with that knowledge, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. I didn't get the. Uh, <laughs> Sarah sent you something. She didn't send me the picture. I just got a bunch of uh, emojis, like a laughing and crying. I tried smiling. I look like a retarded potato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I have another picture I want to try while we're. Oh my god! Is it bad? Oh my god! You gotta share. Yeah. Well, I, I have to download it and then I have to upload it. I had to rename it Potato. As you do. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> oh my God! He caught her mid derp. <laughs> fucking dying here. That pic- there's way too much dumpy in that picture. It says right. This is one of his later works. It's entitled Heart. <laughs> He'd have a tongue out if it was a dumpy. Oh shit! <laughs> hey, the mouth open worked. Oh, wow. Oh, that's that's awful. She, she looks like a stable boy that's been kicked in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
Oh shit! Oh, I can't disagree. You gotta, you gotta tell her that one. Oh, you got, got the black eye. I take care of the donkeys. <laughs> I feed the horses. Oh, oh, we're so derailed. Oh. So I, I gotta, I gotta tell Sarah. Oh, Pat's comment. Oh my god. <laughs> Sarah took a look at one of your pictures, Pat. She said, oh. you look like the horse that kicked the stable. <laughs> That's brilliant. I like that one of Pat. Which, this like one? That one, yeah. But it doesn't look like him. I know. It's the point. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.